0: Welcome to another episode of Professors at Work, the weekly podcast from the American University of Beirut where we talk with professors and scholars and uh, people associated with the university in different ways to learn about what they're doing in their research and in their professional life, uh, what they're discovering about themselves and about the world, and what it means to the rest of us. I'm Rami Khoury, your host. Thank you so much for being with us. I'm particularly delighted this week to have as our guest Sahar Asaf. Uh, Right now in uh, San Francisco, she's taken the leave from AUB for a couple of years. Uh, She's right now the Golden Thread Productions Executive Artistic Director. Uh, This is a theater in uh, San Francisco. But she spent uh, quite a few years at AUB before that, where she was uh, leading the theater arts minor program. Uh, She was also the co-founder of the theater initiative with Robert Myers and um, many other colleagues and an assistant professor teaching theater, as well as being a playwright um, and and doing many other uh, related activities in theater as an actor, director, translator, and and producer. So, Sahar, you've uh, done a lot in theater, and you've done it all over the world.
1: Thank you, Rami. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, it's a pleasure. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, I want to start a little bit by asking you to go over with us uh, the evolution that you've gone through which I suppose every artist goes through and probably every human being goes through that in your early years you looked at theater when you were growing up in the mountains of Lebanon uh, during the civil war and, and bad years you you were looking at theater as an escape as an alternative world something that lets you stay hopeful and then over times it changed so take us quickly through your your evolution as an artist to the point where you became a full-time professional in the world of theater.
1: Yeah sure. Um so yeah as you know I I was born in a tiny village in Mount Lebanon in the Shuf mountain called Warhanieh and I was born in 1980 so that was during the the civil war which lasted until 1990. So the first 10 years of my life really I was in that village and then also my you know my uh, uh teenage years were actually in the Mount Lebanon. And and the, the country was still kind of dissected at that time so my parents were you know you know, reserved to their community. So we didn't really get to experience Lebanon, which is already a small country. We didn't get to experience it much. Um, So I was bored. (laughs) A lot of the time I remember I was bored. Like I didn't necessarily enjoy sports. My siblings would play basketball and football and play outdoor games. And I was like sitting on my couch reading, you know, my parents had a very small, uh, you know, library at home. Um, so I remember, like picking books and reading and imagining scenarios. It kept me entertained, really. Like using my imagination to to imagine like different worlds. Like I I knew there was something out there because I was feeling like growing up. I was feeling it's it's not enough. Like this can't be life. <laughs> yes. Um, so, so at first I, and then when I started doing theater, that was when I went, when I uh, went to live in Beirut when I wanted to go to college. My, my father is a reserved man, conservative actually, and mm-hmm. he wasn't really convinced that uh, an, uh, you know, an actor is, uh, act, acting is a career for a, for a respectful, like respectable, yeah. uh, you know, of woman. Yeah. Um, so I was like, and I, you know, I was 17 when I wanted to, when I went to college. I was kind of, you know, underage, you know, at all yeah. levels. And I was dependent on my father and and also like attached to him. Like I, it, we had a very loving relation. That was the first time we actually had a conflict when he said no to my theater, you know, dreams. Wow. Um, so I went and did journalism. And then I wasn't, I wasn't satisfied. I enjoyed a lot, tremendously enjoyed documentary, like making documentaries and investigative reports. But, but still there was something really missing. Like I knew at heart, like there was something for me else to do. so, and then I went and, and I met a wonderful sociologist uh, called Intisar Azam, late Intisar Azam. She's not with us anymore. Uh-huh. And she gave me an opportunity to work with her on a research project she was doing at AUB. So I joined the AUB as a master's student. Uh, on a graduate assistantship, and that's when i started experiencing theater because i joined the drama club at aub mm-hmm. and i i remember like the drama club they want they, they you know the the president and the the people the the cabinet wanted to do a play and they were like negotiating uh you know contemplating bringing in a student director from leu because you know leu they had a a department like a theater program right. yeah. and i and i remember like i I, I basically sent them this long email convincing them why we should not outsource, why we should just do it ourselves. And I yeah. nominated myself to do it. And literally I knew nothing about like practical <laughs> theater then. I was only gaining experience from reading. So I remember yeah. like I would I would read, like I, I became the director of that play. It was a play by Tafi al-Hakim. We chose to do Masir Sarsar, which is the yes. you know, I mean, it's the fate of of, of a cockroach. Um and I remember like going and reading, you know, I I, book, I, I picked uh, textbooks uh, in directing and I would read and go and like pretend in front of the actors that I know what I'm doing, but I really didn't wow. know what I was doing. And then that jo- like that play got me a job at Haigazian University as an advisor of the of their drama club. So that oh, wow. started, I started getting paid. From doing theater, so I went. I went back to the Lebanese university, like kind of under table, without my family knowing. I, I went and read, like, did an entrance exam. I scored really high in the entrance exam, and I got into the school. And I did two years there before I, you know, I had to stop to basically support myself. Like it was time Mm -hmm. for me to find a full time job. Right. So. In that sense, I say like, it felt like it was an escape because I was escaping from my community. I was escaping from, you know, social perception, negative social perceptions against theater makers, especially women, especially actors, Yes, I would say. Um, you know and i and i was like i was finding my my happiness and my peace in in the rehearsal rooms that i was creating for myself and others All right and then you know obviously like life took me to different jobs and you know um and then at some point i i really felt like at, at 29 actually it was you know it wasn't really um that long ago but it was you know like at that age you would think you know you 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 started a career so i was actually in 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 the social work, I had a very good job with a French organization working in the south in the Palestinian refugee camps, and I was mm-hmm. growing in that job. But then, uh, you know, I felt like I really had no no life because I was spending lo- like most that most of my day at work, and then at night I was in the rehearsal room, and I was missing my friends. I was missing, you know, to be in a, mm-hmm. in community. So I that's when I applied for a Fulbright scholarship, and I kind of shifted gears and I, you know, I went back to Lebanon after that and took the job at AUB. Luckily there was one opportunity for one course at the fine arts department that became two courses and that became, you know, uh, a lecturer position and then a permanent position in theater, which is the first, I think, permanent position in in theater uh, and arts that I took. Um, So so so
0: let me me interrupt you here a second. uh, It sounds like everything you've said um, is very uh, uh inward looking almost selfish i mean selfish in a positive mm-hmm. way that everything that brought you into the theater was to, to for you to transform your life whereas the theater in practice is an outward uh, process where the actors and the directors and all the writers and the people involved are projecting out to a to an external audience so uh, how do you reconcile those two things?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a very good observation, and I agree with you. Like, yes, at first, that was my feeling. Like, I was really, the, the rehearsal rooms were becoming small communities for me, communities where I felt I belonged to communities that didn't judge me for being whatever I wanted to be. You know, I could be myself. I could use mm-hmm. whatever language I want to use without being looked at, you know, as, you know, uh, 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 whatever, like... um how do you say not indecent? I want. I can't find the word um, now. But but you're in a, right. Inappropriate.
0: Inappropriate <laughs> or like uh,
1: yeah. uh, you know, without really excommunicating. You know, like I I've always felt rehearsal rooms are like ideals, Like what an ideal society could could be. And right. and obviously I say this now with reservations because it's quite naive to say that. I know, like in the field, there's a lot of inequities there's a lot of you know uh, injustices actually Mm -hmm. that happens Um, but at least for me that's what it felt like and I I feel like later on because I started picking on subject matters that you know again I I would agree with you in a way it's well selfish might be a word but I, I feel more like it's it, you know, it's not, it's my response to whatever I can't accept in society. So my first response to my own environment was really going on and doing what I wanted to do. And well, then, great. for instance, when I pick a, a subject such as sex trafficking, or you know, um, you know, sexual harassment, or you know, religious uh, corruption or political mm-hmm. corruption, these are issues that I I you know treat in my theater because right. I. I, I cannot accept. So it's in that way, I think the two are reconciled. Like I I feel when you do work from your heart and because it matters to you, uh, eventually you'll be able to transform, even if it's one person. I always say like, we cannot put so much pressure on the theatre itself. It's not as Augusto Boual, I always use this quote because I think it's totally accurate. Theatre is not revolutionary in itself, but it can be a rehearsal for revolution. It offers you oh, that. Wow to try things out, to, right. to dream alternative, you know, scenarios and, and realities and all of this.
0: Right. You it's, talked, it's uh, you've talked in, um, uh, over the last couple of years in interviews and interviews and lectures and things you've done. You've talked about um, one of the things you try to do, especially now that you're in the United States for a few years, you talk about trying to uh, use the theater to, to present spaces of joy in the Middle East to present what you've always seen and what I've experienced my whole adult life in the Middle East, uh, the beautiful and joyful things of everyday life amidst the wars and the revolutions and the refugees and the terrorism and the destruction. So uh, tell us now as you've shifted for a few years uh, into the US, but based on your many years at AUB, uh, what is it about the responsibility you have, the responsibility you feel in in the work you do to to present these spaces of joy as you call them.
1: Yeah so so as you know Golden Thread Productions is the first American theater company devoted to the Middle East. And they've been like Taranja Gazarian, the founder and with the many artists she's worked with, they've really been putting on a fight really in the US to change popular perceptions about the Middle East. And I honestly, I found myself whenever I'm asked about what projects I'm interested in or what stories I want to tell, you know, it's quite dark, honestly, because our realities here in the Middle East are quite dark, but that kind of, because now I'm in the US and I have that distance and I have the peace, relatively speaking, I have the peace of mind. You know, I, I feel like it's my responsibility to Changing a perception about the Middle East is also, you know, changing the narrative, changing the kind of stories that people always tell and associate the Middle East with. When we say Middle East in the U.S., it's it's one thing, it's one color, it's it's yeah. mainly about conflict, about war, about terror. You know, obviously in in the right. public because the mainstream media is is completely right. corrupt in that regard. So I feel like it's our responsibility as artists to show that they, the you know, the shared humanity, what we call the shared humanity, because that's how you build bridges. If I'm able to present a story about, I don't know, a Middle Eastern couple and a couple from, uh, you know, uh, Seattle or n- no matter where, like, is able to sit and watch and and uh, relate mm-hmm. to that story, that's success in my mind. That's, you know, that's one way closer to, you know, sh- showing how, We're all, I mean, especially today, like the pandemic kind of exposed that, exposed the fact that we're all in the same boat, really. Like it's it's cliche to say that, but it is true. Like we're all in the same, and if we don't come together, it's gonna be really even harder. Um, So yeah, yeah, so that's why I feel in my new job, like I didn't have, honestly, I didn't have that pressure when I was doing theater at AUB, because I wanted to, like all the subjects matters that Robert Myers and myself, my collaborator, you know, talked about or engaged with in our theater are really quite, you know, heavy and dark. But I feel now it is my responsibility to show the, you know, the other side of the story, especially because I'm producing in the U.S.
0: And and you talk about, sorry, another dimension that you talk about is uh, you see theater today uh, as less of an escape and rather as a place to resist the status quo, the idea of resistance through art and theater. Uh, explain how you understand that. And you're actually in Beirut now. You're, you're um, on a visit to Beirut for a while. We're talking to you from Beirut. H- have you gone back to Beirut after a few months abroad? Do you feel a, a different sense of um, mission or responsibility among the your colleagues in the world of, of theater and, and different arts over there?
1: It, you know, it's a very hard moment we're living, very difficult time, really, in Beirut, as you know, Rami. Um, mm-hmm. and I, yeah, I, I, I do feel that. And I did say that, that it's a fight forward because in my mind, I was thinking, like, when you, uh, we had times doing theater in Lebanon when we had to, like, go to the rehearsal despite the fact that we knew the show might never open because of whatever, mm-hmm. like, was going on. I remember at one point I was doing a play with Lina Abyad, uh, Matterlink, um, mm-hmm. a, a play, oh. yeah, at the Lebanese American University. And, uh, you know, the roads were blocked. Like, we, we really, we had to postpone several times. And I felt just the fact that we would pick ourselves up and just go and rehearse regardless yeah. of the yeah. fact that we knew that it might never open mm-hmm. that's an act of that's that's an act of resistance in the sense that you're not surrendering you're not stopping you're not you know you want to keep going you want to and and for me as an artist as a theater maker i feel like that's my you know, that's my tool. Theater is my tool. I mean, I was engaged for a long time in in movements, in civil society campaigns. Like, we we do, like, you know, campaigns on the streets, human chains, like writing manifestos and whatnot. But really, I feel like the tool that I really have full access to and I know how to use is the theater. And I've experienced firsthand, like, how it can be effective, especially documentary theater. right. Um, right. So in that sense i I do say like it is a fight forward, though I have to say like now in Beirut, it's really i've never in my life experienced this kind of um pressure honestly like especially after August fourth it was you know this this explosion kinda Destroyed like something major. I I like I don't, I can't even know. I can't I can't explain it. I can't find the words to explain it. But for a long time, and I still do sometimes feel that I felt like completely paralyzed as an artist. Like I didn't know what to do because if I I, I knew it. If I lose theater, I really lose life. I can't imagine myself doing anything else. And and after August fourth, I felt like I can't do theater. Like I can't. What do I? What stories will I tell now? Um, so it was, it's a very, it's a very hard moment. And I think we need time to process and to figure out ways to, to move forward. And, but I know I have huge faith in Lebanese artists. Like they've always been, you know, so resilient and, and the good in the good sense of that word, because now as a Lebanese, I hate that word. Like, I really, <laughs> I think we should stop say, saying we're resilient as people. But I'm speaking about the artists who, you know, would work without support from government, you know, despite censorship, despite like lack of theater culture, we ha- you know, no- nothing really stopped them. And I'm talking about many, many artists. So I do have faith that we'll find a way out and we'll keep, you know, um, we will keep fighting
0: forward. We have about four four or five minutes left. So I will uh, take uh, from what you were talking about Beirut. So we'll continue now uh, into the last uh, segment. So Sahar, you've talked uh, very clearly about what you feel has happened in terms of your artistic and creative life and your colleagues in Beirut and around the Middle East because of recent trends of destruction and damage and human suffering. And and you've talked about uh, recently in recent years, you moved into documentary theater. And one of the first things you did at the Golden Thread Productions position you have now in San Francisco was an extraordinary uh, production about the Beirut port explosion. I I watched it and it was a series of individuals, men and women, uh, just facing the camera or I guess the audience Um, In the dark room and talking about their experience. And it was very simple. Uh, It looked simple, but it was incredibly powerful. Um, And so uh, explain to us in the few minutes we have left how you have focused now and why you focus more and more on documentary theater. And how do you think that can um, fulfill your mission, your current um, and always evolving mission in the artistic world of trying to let the people of the Middle East represent themselves more accurately to the rest of the world.
1: Yeah, so that that show that you watched, I, I call it a reading basically, and it was a reading based on testimonies we collected with individuals who survived the explosion. You know, we call them survivors or even victims of the explosion. So it was word for word. We interviewed them or it's actually something that they've written and shared with us. And I did minor edits and then I would send them back the edits and then make sure that they're OK with the with the selection, with the excerpts that I took out or I left out and the things that I kept. And then I brought in actors and I wanted the actors to really be vessels in the sense that I asked them to present the the individuals, the, like the testimonies, rather than impersonate or represent them. So there was like, the, I, I did say to the actors, if emotions surface, you okay, we allow that, but it's not your job to interpret whatever you're reading so that's why you felt it was uh, simple and i agree with you i think that what makes it powerful in the sense that you know you're simply using the the theater tools whether it's acting or delivery or speech to actually bring these stories to life and that was my way of dealing with the with the first year anniversary as i said like that was a huge thing that happened in our lives and I still I don't know how to deal with it so that was my way again of dealing with it and I felt responsible in that sense like I have this position and I have the the power in a way like I have the tools so I should use them you know Mm -hmm. and I my I think my interest in documentary theatre is kind of is bringing uh, you know, it's, it's kind of bring, bringing me back full circle with my journalism background and sociology background, because I did enjoy many aspects of these fields when I worked in, in them. And I think documentary theater kind of brings all three together, sociology, you know, journalism, and also theater. And I, the first uh, experience for me with with documentary theater was in 2015, 16, when AUB was celebrating its 150th anniversary. And I wanted to celebrate the workers that I see every day. And I feel like they're invisible. I'm talking about janitors mainly. Uh And Uh I I wanted to do something like a, a, A play basically about them to give them that space. And there was no text for me to use. So I wanted, like, I was like, I'm going to interview them. And I started that process. And that time I was in London doing a play with, uh, you know, a collaborator of mine there. And I saw that the Actors Center are giving this workshop called Recorded Delivery Verbatim Theater. And I had no idea what that is. And I did take the workshop and it kind of, you know, opened worlds for me. Um, so, I came back and I used the techniques I learned in in the piece that I did about the workers and their experience at AUB and it turned out like the, the, eventually it, we put on um, a site specific promenade performance, and the students and actors were you know bringing the stories that we heard from janitors and other members in our community to life and then uh, in 2016 also there was this story about sex trafficking that kind of surfaced in Lebanon like the biggest sex trafficking ring ever to be busted in Lebanon and again I go back to what you said like I always my starting point has always been something really personal like I couldn't deal with the story simply and I kept thinking about it and then when the first opportunity came for me to do something about it I chose to do a documentary uh, theater project and I So that piece was based on interviews, but it was also hybrid in the sense that I used like an indictment report. I used, you know, a sociological study by CAFA organization about prostitution and the buyer's Mm -hmm. perspective. So every single document that I used, including the interviews, aside from like two interviews that I made myself, were actually out there in the public. You know, any, everyone, every person have access to them. What? My my perspective, the way I put things together, is what makes this piece, you know, a documentary piece. Right. What makes it subjective in that sense, and I, you know, I experienced the impact of that uh, field because, you know, a year after the the in, like the the uncovering of the story, there was no mention in the mainstream media about the buyer. Like the ring was making a million dollar a month from right. seventy five Syrian women. And it was like everyone was exposed, the general security who collaborated with the ring, the abortion doctor who was kind of on, on payroll, the traffickers, everyone was exposed, yeah. except yeah. for the buyers who were actually making this business profitable. So right. when I put things together, I made the play, like I, I brought in the buyer into the equation. And I remember there was this broadcaster on a, you know mainstream t- television in Lebanon, like prime time, tv she was attending the performance and then she sat throughout the talk back and then she invited me to be on the show i couldn't my collaborator went on like Rada from kaffa and i remember the first question she asked her was why did i have to wait to watch the show to know that the buyer was also a criminal and she dedicated 20-minute segment on prime time tv to talk only about the buyer the sex buyer Wow. And for me that's a huge impact you know that's it's oh, true shit. it's one play but you know it's the you I'm taking from the mainstream media I'm I'm reacting to whatever they did and then I'm feeding them back you know and and I feel that's the power that that's really a simple example of the power of that medium I I truly believe I'm an advocate of documentary theater and I I uh, you know I'm very passionate about it because I've really experienced what what it can do wow. um,
0: well um With that, uh, Sahar, we have to bring this to a close. We run out of time. But what you've talked about, I think, is an incredible example of the power of um, theater and art, the power of uh, people at AUB and the power of human beings all over the world when they interact with each other. Uh, and talk honestly and openly, and in a creative and entertaining manner, perhaps or captivating manner, and and that's why it's so exciting to watch the continued development of uh, theater at AUB and uh, the expansion of some of the work that we started at AUB, uh, going all over the world now. So, uh, Sahar Asaf, thank you so much for being with us.
1: Thank you so much, Rami. My pleasure. Thank you.
0: We've enjoyed it, uh, and thank you to the audience for joining us uh, for this episode of professors at work. I'm your host, Rami Khouri. Join me again next week for another episode. Bye for now.